You're listening to Voice America Kids, now with 33% more active ingredients and no artificial coloring. Stars could shine between the lines If you would let yourself go Find some place you know You can use your words, use your hands You can change the world, just pretend Express yourself, take a chance and you'll see It's time to express yourself, where teens talk and the world listens. Presented by Star Style Productions as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. You'll rock to an hour of adolescent fusion with your teen hosts and on-air reporters. Meet and chat with cool celebrities, exhilarating experts, and tenacious teens with subjects regarding anything and everything that you want to know. It's time to kick off the fun with our star teens. Welcome to Express Yourself. Science is the process of investigating. It's posing questions and coming up with a method. Science is delving in. Sally Wright. Hello and welcome to Express Yourself. We are a program by, for, and with creative young people. A platform to give teens a voice right here on the Voice America Kids Network. I'm Siri Panindra and today's theme is science. Hey all, I'm Kenneth John. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions and brought to you as an outreach service of Be The Star You Are, Charity, a top nonprofit honored by GuideStar and great nonprofits. Please visit www.bethestarur.org to make a tax-deductible donation and get more information about how you too can be a part of our mission to increase literacy and positive message media. Be the Star You Are needs your donations to help us help those in distress by providing books and other resources. We have relaunched our Operation Wildfire Disaster Relief Fund after a new wave of wildfires has hit California and desperately need donations to help ship much-depreciated books to victims. Please donate today at www.bethestarur.org. You can even donate through PayPal Giving Fund with no additional fees. Additionally, our brand new book, Be the Star You Are, Millennials to Boomers, Celebrating Gifts of Positive Voices in a Changing Digital World, is now available at www.cynthiabryan.com online store, where you can also find the other two anthologies we've published. Today, we are really excited to open our show reading one of the chapters from a previous anthology of ours. This chapter is by our excellent producer and Be The Star You Are co-founder, Cynthia Bryan. And without further ado, here's The Gift of Science by Elizabeth Aguilar, a researcher for Be The Star You Are and a contributor to the Be The Star You Are monthly newsletter. Let's begin. During my childhood, I thought of myself as an inventor. I loved drawing and designing all sorts of contraptions that filled my imagination. When I was seven, I wanted to make a device that could clean my family's apartment with the push of a button. I imagined a future with flying cars, small portable laptops, and spy watches that you could talk to. While I was never able to actually invent any of those things, I grew to love the feeling of discovery and desired to use my creativity to make life easier for others. In middle school, I became obsessed with preparing for our school science fair. I always thought of it as a fun opportunity to share my ideas and learn what other students thought could make a difference in the world. To me, science became a hobby, and I grew as fond of it as I did with puzzles and reading comic books. Science also became synonymous with helping others. I came from a working-class family, which made me grateful for what I was given and motivated me to dream big. Science has given me the power to achieve this dream. I won my first science fair in the sixth grade with a small cardboard tornado simulator that I made in my garage. The concept was extremely simple. A metal pie plate filled with water would be heated to form steam and slits from each corner of the cardboard container would push air into perfect wisps that were reminiscent of funnel clouds. My idea was to use the simulator to model funnel clouds in a controlled environment and the project turned into an absolute hit. Judges were in awe as the formation of each tornado would eerily spiral up out of the box and then vanish suddenly. This taste of victory led me to work harder towards future science fairs. I would end up winning the 7th and 8th grade science fair as well, with the creation of a hoverboard and an electrical-powered go-kart, respectively. After middle school, I entered high school and wanted to be involved in the STEM field, but had little clue as to what field I would pursue in the future. I dabbled in biology, chemistry, and physics, only to realize that I couldn't make up my mind until, the ju- until my junior year. And even then, my interest in science and research have since changed dramatically. But it was during my senior year that I found my true passion, 
biomedical research. With this subject, I could apply my love for biology and chemistry into what would become biochemistry. I wanted to be able to use my knowledge of biomolecules and drug therapeutics to treat harmful diseases such as cancer. I participated in my last science fair during my senior year. The project that I had developed that year was an investigative study of the carcinogenic effects of charred food and respective marinades. While I didn't think that the project would advance very far, I was able to win my high school district's fair, San Bernardino County Science Fair, and move on as a finalist to the California State Science Fair. While the research was long and the presentations became more difficult, I loved the challenge. This experience not only motivated me to pursue biomedical research, but inspired me to work with other scientists who were also passionate about making a difference in the lives of others. My strong desire to pursue a research career allowed me to become accepted to the Science Research Fellows Honors Program at DePauw University, where I can truly say that I have found my research niche. As I, now as I approach my senior year in college, I have plans to pursue graduate school and receive a PhD in computational biology. With my career, I hope to develop methods to better diagnose rare disease, rare disease patients to help improve both research and medicine areas. My experiences in research have allowed me to study at Stanford, the University of Geneva, and University of Washington, Seattle as a Goldwater Scholar. I have dreams to return to Europe where I may complete an independent research project through the Fulbright program. But while these incredible experiences have given me the gift of travel, I have to say that being able to experience the gift of science is more than about comprehending the material itself. With science, I find myself wanting to improve the world and give back to those whose lives I've yet to touch. All I can hope is that my error bars never grow higher than my confidence. Exercise. Stressed? Ground yourself and smile. Sometimes rekindling your passion can be as easy as revisiting past memories and asking yourself what has brought you your joy. Because life is a journey filled with opportunities for self-discovery, thinking of our childhood can sometimes remind us of the people or events that inspire us. One way to revisit memories creatively can be through journaling and scrapbooking. If you ever feel that inspiration is fleeting, Give yourself a moment, grab a sheet of paper, and pause. Reflect upon a very specific instance in your childhood that made you happy. Write a small blurb about it and describe why that memory is so vivid for you. Next, doodle a picture or a symbol from that memory. Following that, revisit a recent memory that has made you happy. This does not necessarily need to be related to your childhood memory of choice. Write about it as you did with the first. Now pause and think about the two events. This is a form of grounding yourself when you don't feel inspired or motivated. Often, revisiting happy moments like this can remind you of the bigger picture of a situation you're worried about. This can allow you to remind yourself to keep moving forward during times of hardship, to never forget where you come from, and to know that you can be supported as you move forward to achieve what makes you happy in life. Well, I think that was a very interesting chapter. Um, I think it really encapsulated that kind of inspired spirit really well. You know, I can definitely relate. I've never gone that far into the world of science and, you know, never been accepted into any elite programs or anything. But, yeah, I can definitely relate to that kind of nice, exciting rush you get when problem solving. You know, and I definitely have little moments in my life when I've, as our quote said, investigated and planned out solutions. Yeah, and this actually, it takes me back to my uh, freshman year in high school where I also participated in my district science fair. And um, instead of... Um, science, I was doing computer science, which is also part of science, and I made an artificial intelligence facial recognition and detection camera system, and, you know, it's this reading this chapter just gave me a lot of deja vu, and I could totally relate, as you said, um, because, you know, there were many hardships in the coding aspect, but at the end, it was definitely worth it, and it was an experience to remember. Yeah, and especially that, you know, last part with the exercise, um, yeah, uh, of course, I can think of a lot of different moments where I, you know, built different mechanisms, you know, um, I guess created different uh, solutions to things. But, like, even broader, I think, you know, whenever, not not just with science, whenever you have, like, a problem with something or you're not feeling, you know, very up to it, you can just go back to little moments in your life and always call back to how you felt, how you were thinking, and use that, apply that to, like, your current situation. Definitely. And actually, I keep a diary full of positive memories. And this this just reminds me of it. And I just keep like these happy instances like, oh, I made a new friend today. 
or um, I got a good grade on my test and I always look back to it and revisit that memory and it makes me happy when I'm down. And definitely, I feel you should always look at the positive things and you will learn that it's all about those small things that make you happy no matter how big, big it is. Yeah, uh, reflection is like a very powerful tool. I think, um, yeah, just thinking back to different things. Yeah, it can kind of motivate to, to go forward, um, take you from where you are to, you know, the next step. Yeah, so I think keeping diaries and journals is a very helpful thing to have in your life. Definitely. And I love the sentence in the chapter which said, to me, science became a hobby and I grew as fond of it as I did with puzzles and reading comic books. And, you know, I also feel the same thing that once you start enjoying something, you, you'll just, you know, you'll find it very easy to do. And um, science may be a difficult subject for some, but once you start enjoying something, you'll actually, you know, feel the importance of it and you'll kind of, you know, enjoy it a lot. Yeah, exactly. She talks about how the kind of like progression she goes in, um, where she starts off with more like fun, silly ideas at first and then like slowly gets to more advanced and more advanced uh, things as she goes up in like her school grades and goes through science fairs. Yeah, I think that's like a very accurate way of how like people come to perceive science where you just start off with little problems, start off with little situations that you can solve and then slowly like apply more uh apply more knowledge and apply more information, more experiments into it, and you eventually just have like an endless bound, endless bound of knowledge. Definitely, and I admired how she um, started off her chapter by saying, I imagined a future with flying cars, small portable laptops, spy watches, and you know, you can have big dreams, no matter how old you are, you can always, you know, look up and you could be like, wow, one day we can go to Mars or something. And yeah, and I remember when doing my brainstorming for my science fair project, I was like, hmm, what should I do? What should I do that will impact something? And I was like, you know, maybe safety is an issue, especially in schools. And that's why I geared my camera system towards schools so that we could identify strangers beforehand. And it's all about, you know, having fun. And honestly, the project was amazing. And I did it with my friends. And it's all about having fun. Yeah, that process is really great. You can have fun while also, you know, going on to help other people and kind of thinking of new ways that you can affect other people's lives. Yes, and um, I actually watched a movie the other day, and it's called The Secret, and it was amazing. It just talked about how you should be positive all the time and how you should, you know, come back and see happy uh, moments, and you should never really focus on the negative things because, you know, once you're down, there's only one way to go up, and um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. Um, Yeah. Again, like just going back, reflecting, um, moving forward. Yeah, it's all kind of like tied into science, tied into problem solving. I think, yeah, science takes a lot of knowledge that you gain, or it requires a lot of knowledge that you gain throughout your entire life. And that's pretty much the only way you can like really solve a problem, just applying everything you know into, I guess, like one specific situation. Definitely. Science is everywhere. You know, look around. Everything's science. Um, And What a great segment. I really enjoyed reading Elizabeth Aguilar's chapter, The Gift of Science. Listeners, be sure to support our show in these amazing segments by donating to the Be The Star You Are charity that brings you this program. We have lots of fun events coming up, so check out www.bethestarur.org and follow our blog. I'm Siri Panindra. And I'm Kenneth John. Watch Be The Star You Are's fun and informative videos at youtube.com slash bethestaryouare. Purchase our brand new anthology, Be the Star You Are, Millennials to Boomers, celebrating gifts of positive voices at CynthiaBryan.com slash online store. Make sure to keep listening as we continue our science-themed show. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. 
We don't care how you got here. We're just glad you showed up. You're listening to Voice America Kids. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Welcome back. You're listening to Express Yourself Teen Radio on the Voice America Kids Network. Our show is by, for, and with creative young people. My name is Siri Panindrat, and today's wonderful theme is the gift of science. My name is Kenneth Chun. For this segment, we are happy to be continuing the gift of science with Express Yourself reporter Joven Hundal. Hey, Joven. Hey, guys. Happy to be bringing World Watch back for such a topical um, issue around the world right now. Definitely, and... We had a few questions, actually, concerning science and politics to ask you today. So I'd like to start off with how can the United States feasibly switch its focus to more renewable sources of energy because, you know, it's always good to save energy? Yeah, great question. So this, um, you know, shifting our dependence from fossil fuels onto renewable sources of energy, it's been a issue for at least a few decades now. Barack Obama, back in 2008, made it a central point of his campaign, and even before that, it was definitely very politicized as well. Um, so the biggest problem with just us having not switched to the renewable sources of energy yet, seeing as fossil fuels are responsible for a huge amount of climate change, is just the fact that tens of thousands of jobs are tied up in this um, fossil fuel industry. So you have coal miners in West Virginia, You have people in offshore drilling in Alaska. You have fracking in Oklahoma. All these industries which are providing tens of thousands of jobs and the people in those states aren't, you know, just going to give those jobs up. So the one thing that the United States really needs to be doing is definitely ramping up the subsidies it's giving the corporations to encourage them to start doing more research for renewable sources of energy, start building new energy plans, and as a result, hiring more workers. If we can slowly wean our dependence off um, fossil fuels by offering all these different jobs in, um, in more renewable sources of energy in those types of job sectors, then obviously it'll, it'll be a huge plus for the U.S. Yeah, Um yeah, like you said, I think like the biggest obstacle to that kind of thing is just how many you know jobs and industries and livelihoods are tied up in this thing. Um, you know, you were talking about how like you could gradually uh, shift, I guess, our entire you know economy and like system of production and fuel slowly into more renewable sources of energy. Sources of energy. Um, do you see a world where that kind of like cooperation is possible? You know, because right now there are a lot of people who don't want to necessarily take that step into more renewable sources of energy. Um, what do you think it would take to have that kind of like nationwide agreement to take that big step? Yeah, so honestly, it's kind of a negative point of view here, but <laughs> kind of cynical, but you know, it, it's going to have to get bad before it gets good. And so I think that we're not really going to get, with all the climate change denial out there, we're not really going to get a large subsect of the populace making this one of their top priorities, whether it's in the voting booth or just in their daily lives, um, without, you know, something bad relating to climate change happening. And there's already, of course, plenty of bad things happening due to climate change. There's more hurricanes, more intense hurricanes, the whole wildfires in California. We're seeing the climate change effects everywhere. But one place to specifically look at is in Florida. So Florida has had Republican governors for 20 straight years. They've just elected another one who doesn't seem like he'll be doing anything about um, climate, <laughs> will be doing really much about climate change, seeing as one of the donations that he's gotten were from fossil fuel lobby. But um, so I think Florida will definitely be a state where you'll start to see the climate change effects happen more and more rapidly. And so then as long as we publicize these issues and we show to people across the country that these are the sorts of things that are going to be happening with more and more frequency as long as we continue to just deny climate change is happening and not work at all to try and fix it, 
then this was going to happen. And so um, I think after something bad like that happens, I do have faith that we will be able to sort of slow the rising um, wave of these climate change effects as much as possible. But unfortunately, until something disastrous happens, I don't think we'll be able to. I definitely think this is a big step for, you know, everyone in the United States. Um, but there's also this um, debate. I'm not sure if you guys have heard, but they were wondering if we should tap into the power of the Yellowstone supervolcano. And that could possibly and potentially provide a source of geothermal energy. And, um, yeah, it's, you know, it's a big debate and it's, you know, all over. Um, the news, and I was wondering, since we kind of touched on climate change, what do you? What's your opinion, personally, Joven, on climate change? Yeah, so climate change is absolutely occurring at far greater rates than for than has ever the world has ever seen for thousands and thousands of years, and obviously, man-made climate change is at the very top of that list. You know, I haven't actually heard specifically about um, the issue that you talked about with Yellowstone. But I know another, you know, current political debate going on, well, not so much a debate, but some policies being enacted by um, President Trump's Interior Department. So they're opening up a lot of public lands, so lots of national park stuff, scaling back a lot of stuff. And I think it's Utah and, Utah and Wyoming specifically, so parts of Yellowstone. Um, they're opening up a lot of this existing national park land, stuff like that. Has been part has been protected lands for decades and decades, possibly even going on a century now. Um, they're opening up a lot of these public lands to these large corporations that are destroying our environment. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of little. There's a lot of inaction, of course, being taken against taken in regards to climate change that we're not dealing with this issue. But the problem is not only are we not dealing with the issue, we're exacerbating it by taking actions such as the ones that the Interior Department have been. Yeah. Um, what do you think would be, like, the biggest consequences of, you know, the track we're going in now where big corporations are kind of um, not taking the right steps? Like, I've heard a lot about, or heard and read a lot about, you know, how there would be a lot of social problems, you know, like famines, um, uh, resource wars, things like that. Uh, do you have an idea of what would happen in the future? Yeah, so I'm certainly not, you know, like any expert, but um, if you look at what all the experts are saying when they're talking about how, for example, the 2017 hurricane season, we had hurricanes Harvey in Texas, Hurricane Irma in Florida, Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico, causing billions upon billions and billions and billions of dollars in damage. And then, of course, the wildfire season that's going on here in California a lot of schools, uh, not my school, but a lot of like colleges specifically, um, took like the past, not the past week, but I think it was the week before off from school. And with the terrible air quality that's happening as a result of the wildfires, which are in turn happening at greater rates due to climate change. So we're going to start seeing a lot of these effects. And we're going to start seeing a lot of this climate change affect our life on, on more of a daily basis. So, you know, we might hear about this in the news a lot, but I don't think it's until now where we start seeing their effects on such a profound scale to where it's happening in our daily life. And of course, there's also all these other different science and environmental debates going on that, you know, aren't necessarily even related to climate change. So for example, um, some Republicans in Congress are pushing forward with an attempted rewrite of the 1972 or 73 uh, Endangered Species Act. So this is um, a piece of legislation that has saved countless different animals, um, including, for example, the national animal of the United States, the bald eagle. The bald eagle was endangered for endangered back around that time, about the 70s, and then through conservation efforts, including those, um, including those that went through the Endangered Species Act, it was able to make a remarkable recovery. I believe it's not even threatened right now, actually. I believe it's in a pretty good spot, the bald eagle, with thousands and thousands still in the wild. And so with something like the Endangered Species Act, there's some in Congress who want to rewrite that act and make it less restrictive. And so that's something that, you know, 
conservationists need to be fighting more. We need to make sure that something like the Endangered Species Act remains in place or potentially even gets a little tougher. So there's a lot of different, you know, science and environmental issues going on right now that don't even have to do anything with climate change. Yeah, and since we were just talking about um, animal safety, I was thinking, what's your perspective on animal dissection? Because um, I had my speech and debate class the other day, and we were talking about that. And I wanted to, you know, bring up the topic and get your perspectives on it. Yeah, so I haven't heard too much about this topic. What is it specifically about animal dissection? So is it inhumane or is it humane um, to, you know, use animals for dissection or are there you know, other ways to teach students about animal parts? Oh, I see. Yeah. So, you know, I haven't really thought about this issue too, too much. I, I'm sure like some of you guys, um, I've definitely dissected animals in school before. I remember in fifth grade, the class dissected a crab together. I remember going to this um, science event at my local university where we dissected a squid um, so, yeah, I, I don't know too much about, you know, like the ethical arguments behind animal dissection. Uh, personally, right now, I don't necessarily oppose it. But then again, it might just be because I haven't necessarily heard any arguments to the contrary. Right. Well, um, I guess speaking of like education, um, I guess we have one last question. Um, what do you think it would be kind of, what do you think would be necessary for people to be, I guess, more accepting of like, uh, scientific conclusions and things like that. There's kind of like an aura of anti-intellectualism right now. Um, do you think there's kind of like a cure to that, I guess? Something that people can um, do to be more accepting of uh, new information? Yeah, great question. So, you know, it's kind of funny because I remember last year my AP chemistry teacher, so this is a you know science teacher we're talking about, he gave us an assignment where we had to read this article that basically told us, don't trust experts. So it's one thing to, you know, of course, say that you should always keep a skeptical mind, which is, of course, healthy. We want to be questioning every, uh, the assumptions that are all around us. But the, the PDF that he had us, like, um, print out and annotate, it was this basic conclusion was you shouldn't be trusting experts and I just thought that was funny coming from a science teacher but um, no yeah you're definitely right there is this um, wave of anti-intellectualism and a lot of it is of course because of the internet so as the internet grew one of the big sticking points that people would hail about the internet was that it would increase access to information but when you increase access to information you're also increasing access to disinformation and so, you know, on places like Facebook, where the whole, I guess, fake news phenomenon is, has more steam than ever, um, you see whole companies even spring up based around this idea that they can get more clicks and thus more ad revenue by showing these sensationalist articles about how, you know, these sorts of issues aren't necessarily what the experts say. Um, you'll see that with anti-vaccinators a lot, where there's all these um, sort of sites that pop up with this anti-vaccination talk, talking about how it's going to cause autism, and then these things will get shared on Facebook, where they get shared by thousands and thousands of people. And so I definitely think that we need to be holding the aggregators, these internet companies that aggregate these sorts of content, so whether it's, you know, Facebook with hosting these different news sources, whether it's something like Google News, Apple News, whether it's Twitter, whether it's Reddit, whether it's any of these different sites that aggregate content, um, we should be definitely holding them up to a higher standard and seeing how much of a platform that blatantly fake news is given on their site. And definitely need to be holding them to higher sta standards and keeping them accountable for that. Yeah, it's definitely true to keep our eyes open and look for new possibilities, especially in the science field. And thank you for that intriguing conversation. And I gained a lot of insight about common science debates that you know are frequent today, including climate change, which was especially very interesting. Unfortunately, we are out of time in the segment, but we're happy to be talking more about science in the next part of our show. I'm Siri Panindra. And I'm Kenneth John. Make sure to also check out our show at bethestarewar.org and go to our events tab to see all the fun events we have coming up. 
Make sure to stick around for more Express Yourself discussing the gift of science. Show the world your smile. Be the star you are. If you are ready to be inspired, energized, and edutained, you've come to the right place with our two life changing programs at Be the Star You Are Radio.com. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's our lifestyle show, Star Style Be the Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. On Tuesdays at noon Pacific, teens talk and the world listens on Express Yourself Teen Radio on Voice America Kids. Come play with us at BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com. Sometimes we may sound strange, but remember, we're just kids with opinions. You're listening to Voice America Kids. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Welcome back to our show. This is Express Yourself Teen Radio, continuing our enlightened show on science. My name is Kenneth Jun. And I'm Siri Panindra. In our next segment, Kenneth will be providing us with some insight into the relationship between fact and fiction on his segment, 2020 Vision. How are you, Kenneth? Thanks for having me. Um, so for today's theme of science, as you said, I wanted to highlight the role that science fiction films play, uh, films and shows play in the evolution of technology. So for years now, uh, science fiction has served as a source of inspiration for real scientists and inventors. Um, Probably one of the most famous examples of this influence is the inspiration for the flip phone, or the cellular phone in general. Uh, Martin Cooper, leader of Motorola's development team for the first handheld cell phone, uh, has explicitly stated that he was inspired by Captain James Kirk and his mobile communicator from episodes of Star Trek. And it's pretty easy to understand why this link exists. Um, Science fiction provides viewers with a vision of the future, They're almost like business proposals for new inventions, complete with designs, demonstrations, and analysis. Uh, Furthermore, the medium of film establishes familiarity with a new concept. Uh, Consider the slogan for 1978's Superman, you believe a man can fly. The film was marketed around being able to see a person believably take flight because the sight of such a thing would take the supposedly fictional ability one step closer to reality, and thus wow audiences. Uh, Films can do exactly that for new technology. A viewer can experience the convenience and utility of flying cars, bionic limbs, and advanced AI through a film or show. When that viewer decides that he or she wants to implement that into the real world, science fiction becomes science. There's also a much more nuanced way science fiction affects the field of real science. A 2018 article from MIT Technology Review titled When Science Fiction Inspires Real Technology uh, highlights research performed by Philip Jordan at the University of Hawaii along with several of his colleagues. After going through papers from the ACM Conference on Human Factors and Computing Systems, uh, they found that words and ideas from fictional universes had made their way into real theoretical discussions and explanations. Uh, Essentially, science fiction acted as a skeleton of innovation, at least in the developing field of human-computer interaction. The different quote-unquote bones and joints of that science fiction skeleton served as referral points that scientists could use to build full ideas. Even beyond just presenting new inventions, science fiction is able to plant little puzzle pieces in the minds of the audience, uh, pieces that they can then put together to advance our world. Then there's the entirely different aspect of public acceptance. A piece of science fiction doesn't need to inspire scientists to have a significant effect. Letting audiences step into that alternate universe is a good way of getting their toes wet in regards to real technologies. It comes back to what it comes back to that sense of familiarity that movies and shows tap into with their accessibility. An article titled From Batman to Night Rider Examining Self-Driving Cars in Pop Culture and the Impact on User Adoption from Tufts University's The Road Ahead describes a survey of public opinion on self-driving cars. This survey performed by Brandon Schottel and Michael Savak ultimately suggests that while most people are optimistic about driving cars, there's also a great deal of apprehension surrounding them. Of course, while safety concerns are an important part of technology development and should never be overlooked, 
Science fiction can do a lot of good by subduing the initial irrational fear that comes with the strangeness of a new invention. Emotional trust is an important part of accepting new things, and exposure to fiction can go a long way in that respect. As the article points out, the newer generations are growing up with much more expansive, intricate science fiction films and shows, meaning that they'll probably be much more comfortable with the technological world ahead of us. Wow, that was, you know, really fascinating to listen about and, you know, the importance of science fiction and, you know, movies and films in general. And since we are teens and we go to school, um, do you think movies and films are educationally useful in classrooms? Yeah, I think they can be, like, a pretty good supplement to, like, um, you know, uh, I guess, basic information that you get from normal textbooks and lectures. Uh, I think the good approach would be how I described in um, the segment. It's kind of like uh, kind of little pieces that you can just uh, put together to, you know, fully form an idea. You can get little, uh, little, like I said, referral points from that science fiction uh, movie or show or whatever, and then kind of use it to describe and teach how um, real-life ideas uh, work. Like, say, I don't know, you wanted to... Um, you know, talk about, like, self-driving cars or something. And you could use something as, like, silly and fantastical as maybe, like, Batman or Knight Rider and then kind of use that similar... uh, use similar uh, situations and similar technologies, kind of apply them onto um, real-life examples and real-life information to kind of get a feel for what that real-life technology could do. Definitely. And I think, you know... utilizing movies and films in classrooms are, you know, really helpful in the way that, you know, they're visual techniques of learning. And, you know, I personally learn a lot through, you know, films because I get to, you know, be um, in the shoes of someone else and, you know, experience technology that's not available in our classrooms. And that's super cool. And I wanted to move on to another question I had for you, um, Kenneth. Are there any modern examples that display both of the aspects you mentioned in your segment? Um, one I came across was Big Hero 6, the uh, Disney animated movie. Um, it's about robots, so it's pretty like fitting. Um, I think that one is like a really good uh, demonstration of how both of those aspects uh, come together. You know, like Big Hero 6 is a kids movie. It's an animation movie. It's very colorful. It has like cute robots and cool-looking, like, power bikes and suits and whatever. Um, So, yeah, if a kid watches that, then they're kind of, like, getting used to how all that works, getting used to how, you know, AI works, that kind of thing. And then I've read reports about how people have been, uh, scientists have been inspired from Big Hero 6, uh, the kind of main character robot, I guess, um, named Baymax, who is a, like, healthcare assistant, uh, kind of therapeutical, providing like basic first aid, things like that. Um, yeah, they've taken that idea and they're trying to make like real life, like healthcare assistance, medical assistance, um, you know, driven by AI. And, you know, when those two things together, like it inspires a scientist to make an invention and it also gets kids to, uh, kids to become more used to that kind of like new technology. Yeah, I think that movie's kind of great in what it can do. Yeah, I actually definitely remember that movie and that was a great experience and it in fact inspired me for my science fair project because it utilized a lot of artificial intelligence and robots and, you know, that um, inspired me to go in that kind of direction for my science fair project. And I want to do ask you another question since our um, talk is about science. What does all of this that we have covered say about the relationship between science and art? Yeah, I think they're very closely linked than, um, much more closely linked than a lot of people think. Um, the way I kind of saw it after, you know, going through all the research and stuff is like, art is kind of, you know, uh, a leader, figureheadish kind of thing. It's like a very abstracted dreamer or thinker that just goes in new directions, tries to break all the rules. And science is that kind of like supporting foundation that backs it all up and makes it reality, um, you know, so that things can actually come to life and you know, benefit the humans, uh, human race, uh, you know, provide entertainment, all that stuff. Yeah, so I think that link is very, uh, link is very intimate, I guess you would call it. Um, yeah, those two kind of like work hand in hand to uh, create new things. 
Yeah, it's, it's very interesting how science, which is based on proof and evidence, and art, which on the other hand is based on imagination, you know, how they all are interconnected and, you know, how they have a really nice relationship. And I wanted to ask you, um, how should schools, you know, incorporate more science and art into their, you know, curriculum and classroom? Because as we talked about, science and art are very important. So how do you think we should implement, you know, new um, things in our classrooms to cover science and art? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think kind of breaking that boundary between the two, that perceived boundary, um, would be a really good way to kind of mesh those two together. Um, bringing more imagination into science uh, where you can kind of realize how like useful it is to you know, dream and think and try to just go in new ways um, and not be restricted by whatever standards there are. And then art, of course, um, there's very like skillful technological things that you need to master to become good at um, uh, painting, cooking, filmmaking, photography, whatever. And so kind of emphasizing that relationship between the two, I think would be a really good way to get students to kind of understand how, um, how closely linked they are. Uh, you could maybe, I don't know, um, encourage people to be, or encourage students to kind of like experiment um, more in the way they want in science just to kind of get a feel for how um, how you can kind of explore that field and then are you know emphasize how like uh, the sciences you know the understanding of the natural world that you need to create a lot of art you know like uh, figuring how sound works and music like the sciences of sound um, how like visuals work and you know the particles of paint, that kind of like chemistry and uh, painting and drawing, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think that would be a good way to implement the two. Definitely. And right now at my school, we just have art electives, but I feel, you know, we should implement more classes, which are, you know, a combination of both. And right now there's kind of this debate about whether it's considered as STEM education or STEAM education. So like, you know, science, technology, English and math, what do you think about that? Yeah, um, I mean, there, of course, has to be kind of a difference between the two. Uh, there are different, I guess, skill sets, skill sets uh, that pertain to each subject. But, yeah, I don't really like how, like, those two are completely separated. And, you know, you have to become a STEM person or a STEAM person. Like, you have to go to the humanities because you don't want to sit around, like, typing into computer and doing experiments and all that and you have to go into STEM or science because you don't want to, I don't know, um, like explore and break logic and things like that. I think, yeah, if you kind of mesh the two together, like I said, I think that would just be a better education overall for students. Definitely. And I feel, you know, right now, yeah, my teachers say STEM, but I feel it doesn't matter matter whether it's um, STEM or STEAM because you know, we always need art and imagination and, you know, science, math, engineering and technology. Um, you need a lot of imagination to make, you know, creative, um, you know, inventions in the world. And, you know, imagination is basically um, something you need. You need to be creative. And, yeah, so this was a great discussion. And we are unfortunately out of time for this segment. But Kenneth will be back to talk to us some more about our wonderful topic of science. My name is Siri Paninja. And I'm Kenneth Chan. Thank you for listening. Uh, make sure to also visit www.bethestarur.org and expressyourselfteenradio.com for more information about Express Yourself and Be The Star You Are. This has been another segment of Express Yourself Teen Radio. Make sure to keep listening as we continue our science-themed show. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. 
We didn't invent Kid Talk. We perfected it. And at a very young age, you're listening to Voice America Kids. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Welcome back. My name is Kenneth John, and now we will be continuing our science-themed edition of Express Yourself. And I'm Siri Panindra. For this segment, Kenneth is back to talk to us about more science in 2020 vision. Welcome, Kenneth. Thank you again. Now, this is going to be a bit of a pseudo-edition of 2020 vision. Uh, just going off the thing we talked about in our last segment, I wanted to broaden the scope a little. So instead of only talking about photography and or filmmaking like I usually do, I wanted to talk about art in general and its relationship with today's focus, science. So while researching information about my last segment on science fiction, I gradually came across opinions and statements about the relationship between art and science as a whole. Uh, This was the natural progression of my research, so I figured this would be a fitting direction for our discussion. Definitely. I totally agree with you. Science and art, they're very, you know, interconnected, and it's a great topic to talk about. And to start off, Kenneth, What do you think about the relationship between art and science? Do you think the two are similar? Are they more similar or are they more different? What what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I really have to say yes. Um, You know, in my search, I came across a lot of different articles describing the similarities between art and science. Um, Most notably, a Forbes article on this very subject titled, Why Art Art and Science Are More Closely Related Than You Think. it was originally an answer posted to Quora from a professor of biology and neuroscience named Dave Featherstone. Uh, it starts off with a bold claim that, you know, science equals art. Um, that's like actually what he just wrote, the first, I guess, opening statement of his article. Um, yeah, and he kind of just backs that up. He proceeds to le- list off a lot of different ways in which art and science are really similar and, you know, in essence linked. Um, the first thing he talked about was... Uh, how both art and science require that kind of out-of-the-box uh, thinking and vision. Um, both are used to, you know, change our perception of the world, and you can't do that if you, like, can't kind of take that first step into trying to uh, change perception of the world. Um, both art and science are about, you know, exploring and um, going out into new things. Um, if, you're, if you're a scientist and you just go off of what other people do and just don't really explore new fields, then um, you're not going to be like too successful. Um, an artist who just kind of sticks to old traditions, old uh, standards, and doesn't try to you know break new rules, uh, just go beyond what people expect, um, you're probably not going to make a lasting impression as an artist. And you know the one of the main points was also that the application of art and the application of science also manifest themselves in kind of similar ways. Um, they both create conveniences within our world. You know, the application of science is uh, technology that you know benefits the human race. Uh, it saves people's lives. It makes our lives easier. And then, of course, you know, if you manifest art into reality, uh, they become like decorations. They make things look visually appealing. They make things comfortable. Um, yeah, so science and art are very closely linked. Yeah, and it's actually just a coincidence that today in my Honors Anatomy class, we were discussing, you know, kind of a psychological aspect, and we were talking about, um, and we were making a model of a neuron, um, and we used a lot of art supplies, and I actually learned a lot, you know, a lot of parts, and I was like, oh, dendrite, and, you know, I definitely feel we need imagination and creativity, um, especially in, you know, the field of science. And if you had to model that kind of relationship between art and science, what would you visualize it as? Would you consider it a parallel line or a loop? Uh, I think a loop would be the most fitting way to describe it. Um, I said this earlier, like art could be kind of like a figurehead or leader, while science is the support or foundation. But then when you think about it, you know, like science is also kind of what kind of allows art to exist. Art uh, to be good at art, you need to have a good understanding of the natural world and 
your supplies, your tools, things like that. You know, when you think back to Renaissance Renaissance artists like um, uh, Leonardo da Vinci, uh, they were very accomplished scientists, and they could probably only do uh, create the pieces of art they did because they had such a good understanding of the world around them. And yeah, like cooking, painting, music, filmmaking, uh, photography, dance, they all require a good understanding of technology, your own body, um, you know, how things work, um, maybe even like the atmosphere, how things work with like concerning chemistry and different like particles and atoms. Um, Yeah, you just need to understand how things work and that's only possible through science. So yeah, they kind of feed into each other, they support each other and in a never-ending loop. Yeah, and um, given by your insight, I, I already, you know, see the differences and the similarities, but I'm leaning towards the similarities. And if they're so similar and interconnected, why do you think, you know, there's this perceived battle and debate between art and science when they're, you know, so close together? Yeah, I think the kind of flourishes and extravagances of each kind of subject highlight the limitations of the other. Um, Art has a focus on pushing boundaries, breaking rules. Um, Science, you know, it also, you should also encourage exploration in science, but there are very clear natural rules that cannot be broken. Art has limitations, but science's limitations are more obvious. And science uses clear logic that art is missing, making it seem like confusing, uneven, or luck-based. Definitely. And, you know, I really, um, I'm not thinking about it. And science and art, they're so, you know, closely woven together. And I feel, you know, they're both in our lives. And this is overall a really interesting conversation. And unfortunately, um, this must come to an end. And it's sadly time to say farewell. We give our thanks to Star Style Productions, Cynthia Bryan, Be The Star You Are, and our Voice America Kids crew, especially our voice engineer, Josh. Thanks to our guests and reporters from across the world and our listeners for making us a top-rated program. I'm Siri Panindra. And I'm Kenneth John. You have been listening to Express Yourself, an on-air global community where teens talk and the world listens. For info on our creative community, charity efforts, and outreach programs, go to our main site at www.bethestarur.org. Until next week, remember, be responsible, be generous, and be here. Speak up, speak out, and express yourself. Thanks for joining us this week on Express Yourself, produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, be sure to visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern, when teens talk and the world listens on the Voice America Kids channel. Until then, remember to express yourself. Stars that shine between the lines if you would let yourself